Hello and welcome to Noise Creators Podcast, episode 27. My name is Jesse Cannon and I'll be your host for this podcast. This week's episode is with Mike Kennedy. You may know Mike from his band, The All-American Rejects, who, you know, they've had a few hits or something. Uh, But Mike's also an awesome, awesome producer who's worked with bands like Screeching Weasel, Copyrights, Direct Hit, Masked Intruder, and all sorts of other cool stuff. Mike and I get into all sorts of details about how he feels about production, our love of mid-90s pop-punk that we both share, and lots of other cool stuff. I think this is a great episode. You should check out his profile, Breeze's uh, Spotify playlist, read his bio, read his discography, and check out everything we have on him on Noise Creators, and check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones, We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? I'm using, it's actually a, I just pulled over the mic that I always have set up for to do and to quick overdubs when I need to, but it's a U87 nice. into a BAE 1073 into a uh, Mohawk 1176 clone. Nice. That's a, that's a good setup right there. It's not bad. So tell me about your background in music. You know, so start playing in punk bands when I was a kid, which eventually led to me joining uh, the All-American Rejects when I was like in my early 20s. They were from a, a town close to here. Uh, I live in Oklahoma City. You know, our bands played together. I eventually joined their band and that led me to actually having a career in music, which is crazy. And then, you know, the inevitable nerdiness of wanting to learn how the recording process worked led me to uh, producing. Nice. And so, so drill down a bit more on that. How, how did you get started producing? What was some of your early productions, stuff like that? Well, I, uh, you know, at first I, like I, I picked up pro tools just to kind of be able to demo stuff myself mm. and just, you know, I got into it, just the nerdiness and the fun of, of the, uh, technical side of it. And then I, I happened to producing wise, I kind of took a jump start more than most people do in that I had this opportunity to interview Ben Weasel, who's a singer of Screeching Weasel and like one of my idols for Alternative Press Magazine, where they had like an idol worship column. When I did that and talked to him, you know, I talked to him about what he was doing at the time and he sent me some of his demos. I was like, you know, I just got it, this fucking wild itch that I was like, ah, if I could produce his record, that'd be awesome. So I took one of his demos 
and made my own demo of it, made like a full arrangement, programmed some drums and stuff, and uh, sent it back to him. And I was like, if you let me produce your record, this is the kind of thing I would do. And he was like, cool, let's do it. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, so his, his second solo record was the first thing I ever produced. Nice. That's very cool. And pretty pretty awesome to also get to have that first thing be somebody you like totally grew up respecting. Totally. I know he, he was one of the biggest influences on my melodic sense of all time. So that's fucking yeah, awesome. Such a, such a good songwriter. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have your own studio? Uh, yeah, just I have a setup in my house that, uh, you know, like one bedroom is uh, my control room. And then I use my, my living room that I don't really use for anything else as my live room. Yeah, but it, it works pretty well. Cool. And what instruments do you play? I play guitar primarily. And then, you know, I can kind of fuss my way around most other things, you know piano and drums and whatnot but yeah guitar is my main instrument nice and so tell me about a cool piece of gear your studio has you know i just got recently one of these ua 2108 mic prees uh which i never was even aware of until i was just doing a record at, at a different studio and they had one and you know it's like kind of an 1176 without the compression compression mm -hmm. chain i love it man being able to like really drive stuff like i had a on that record i was doing i use it on bass like to really drive the the distorted signal and it uh it broke up so well i love it so i, so I tracked one down it was it took me a while to... nice yeah but that's always it's funny that's my favorite use for that as well is like it just sounds so good on bass hell yeah so how involved like we kind of say on this podcast like there's like the steve albini approach where it's like you just like you probably only comment on if you think a take was good, but you're really just capturing it. Or there's like the John Feldman where you fully rewrite the band's songs. How yeah. involved do you normally get in uh, production and in songwriting in that process? I definitely like to dive like that. That's my favorite part. I, I enjoy like, you know, the engineering side, but I always feel like I'm still like uh, just above novice in a way. I mean, I'm sure mm. I'm pretty confident at this point, but I, I never feel super confident in that, but I do love, the actual song construction and working on arrangements and, you know, layering and all that stuff. And, and I definitely, obviously not every idea I have is right or is saying I'm always right, but like, I definitely like, I'll have a vision of where I think a song could be and like what will make it the best. And I'm just shooting for that. And so I can, yeah, I definitely try to be pretty hands-on to like get the best result. Nice. And what do you think you bring to records most often? I hope just that kind of, outside perspective where you know like when you're writing a song and you're practicing it and, and putting it together you kind of like it, it's so easy to to lose perspective on it and having someone else come in and on that first listen can be like oh we should just do this and it's like a simple little change but it makes a world of difference that that's the kind of thing that i feel like i can bring to a lot of bands is uh yeah just that that and this kind of a sense of I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I've developed over the years just like a good sense of like what's going to catch the ear on first listen and kind mm. of shooting for that and going towards it. I like that. That's really good. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? Not fully writing their songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I hear that. That happens a lot. Or, or just in general, at this day and age in particular, it seems like bands, you know, because they know that the computer can do a lot, they don't come in just as just knowing the songs, if, even if they are written, like certain members have barely put thought into it. And so that can be, I don't know. I, I'm so used to it. I wouldn't say it frustrates me. It's just like, okay, well now we got to work out these parts as we go, but that's kind of fun in itself too. But I'm not, I'm not encouraging bands to do that. <laughs> 
Gotcha. What's a big mistake or a smart thing you see bands do with vocals for recording? If there's one thing that I feel like I've been lucky with with most most of the bands I've recorded is that they all have pretty good singers who are, mm. you know, they're, they're good. At, you know what, actually... There was the, when I did that Ben Weasel record, that first one, he had been taking vocal lessons at the time and the techniques that he'd been learning from that were totally fucking with him. Mm. And it took like a day where like, this just isn't sounding right. And like, just don't think about any of that shit. And he just went back to singing the way he does and it sounded like him and it was great. Huh. And so I, th- I feel like when, yeah, like people try to think too hard about their voice that's probably the, the one thing is just do what you do. Try not to think about it. And I don't know with the studio, I kind of feel like, you know, we don't want to blow your voice out cause we want to get it all done, mm-hmm. but don't hold back. Don't, don't be afraid to blow your voice out. Cause we're going to get the best shit when you're giving it your all. So it's just kind of that balance, I guess. of of that stuff. Well, I think you touched on a, a, a interesting thing that I always find is that like, if you're just learned some new techniques and then you're trying to do them in the studio, the problem is, is you're thinking about those techniques instead of when you should be really thinking about how you bring nuance and like cool little subtleties to a performance instead of, you know, pushing your very last bit of ability on something new that you haven't mastered yet. And I think that that's often the problem of like when somebody just starts getting vocal lessons, it's like, they're not familiar with those techniques and how to incorporate them into what they do. Totally. What happens when you and a band disagree about something in the studio? You know, if there's something that I really believe in, you know, I'm just like, I'm never a dick about it. Like I've definitely worked with producers and who are kind of assholes. And so I've, I've, I've learned as a performer how, where I, you know, want someone to draw the line of how they overbearing they are i don't know Hmm. i I hate when people are assholes so you know if i have an idea that i feel is really a good idea or something that's important i'll i'll definitely make my case for it but in a nice civil way and then if the band's not having it though then you know at the end of the day it's their record and i want them to be happy i'm not going to make them do something they don't want to do but hopefully i can persuade them and show them what i'm trying to say and hopefully what i'm trying to say is a good idea which is not always i'll acknowledge that (laughs) <laughs> nice i like that um so we have uh like a little of rapid fire thing of like how you feel about some modern production stuff do amp simulators have a role in your productions yeah like i i don't have a problem with them obviously if you know we can get a mic in front of a cab that's awesome but if there's not a choice or you know we're doing like quick overdubs for little parts you know no one's gonna know the difference and if you can dial it in right, you know, or if you can dial it in correctly, I guess no one will know the difference. So yeah, I have no problem with them. Nice. How about sample drums? I do feel like there's a lot of mixers these days who get a little too sample happy just from the go. Like instead of trying to work with what's there, they'll just immediately sample replace. And I'm not into that because I one thing I try to do as an engineer is get good drum sounds. And so... I have no problem. I definitely feel like I'm an ends justifies the means guy with recording. Whatever makes it sound good in the end. To me, like when people go real sample heavy, it just sounds sample heavy to me, and I don't like that. And I'd rather, you know, I don't. If you use samples as reinforcements, that's awesome. I just want it to sound natural. I don't want to think, oh, this is totally a sample. So uh, I'm with you. How about pitch correction? You know, use it where it's needed. I definitely never use auto tune like on. Automatic, like I don't use auto tune at all. Like I, like I see people put it on in automatic mode, and I'm just like, ugh. Because mm. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's like I'll use Melodyne and go in there 
and actually move the parts that need to be moved. But I usually, I mean, when I record vocals, I, I kind of put the singer through their paces usually and do a shit ton of takes so that I can comp and have to use that as little as possible. And then only if it's like, oh, this takes really great, but he's just slightly flat, you know, mm. then I'll use it. But I, I definitely, not as a just overall throat on everything. I, I'm not as big fan of that. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite soft synth? You know, I, there's this one thing that IK made called uh, Sampletron that mm-hmm. just had a bunch of weird, like, it's like Mellotrons and then like an Optagon and all these just like, yep. you know, n- non-traditional keyboard stuff. Those sounds, when added with extra stuff like distortion or some kind of effects, I, I always go to that and like I always feel like I can get really cool, unique sounds with that. And I, I love that plugin, which now I actually just have to figure out how to, because when they switched over to AAX, they didn't bring those as standalones and I have to get like sample mm. or whatever the other one is. I yep. don't know. So I got to figure out how to do that so I can bring it into the Pro Tools. 12 world nice do you master your own records i don't i definitely feel very ignorant to mastering <laughs> no it's just a, it's it's one of those things that it's like it's often like dentist work like you don't want to do it on your own stuff yeah exactly it's yeah and at that point i even feel with mixing too like mm-hmm. i usually like at that point to give it to someone else like give it to fresh ears that can bring something new to it at that point. Nice. How long does it take you usually to work on a song? Like how long does it take you to track a song and then mix a song? Usually I'm working like in a project realm. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. doing all all the drums at once and then yep. go through everything. But, you, you know, like tracking for an album, like basics, like guitar, bass, like rhythm guitar, bass, and drums, probably, I don't know, a week, week and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, what I usually like to do is take a time, do that kind of set of stuff, then go take a little time to comp and edit everything, and then have another session where we do like lead vocals, comp and edit that, and then kind of piece by piece start doing all the layering and stuff, and which isn't the most like the best use of time, I suppose. These days, you know, most bands have day jobs anyway. It's like it's hard for them to cut out a whole month of time to do everything. Totally. So it tends to work out better for everybody. And there's less stress because I can just take it home and do like a lot of the busy work. So I, you know, I would say a record, if you, if you put all the time together, probably takes a little over a month to do, I would think. Nice. What's a good lesson? I know you've worked with uh, a lot of big famous producers uh, in your time. Uh, what's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? You know, everyone that we've worked with, I know which I've been crazy lucky to work with like some insane names mm. and uh, they've all taught me something like Howard Benson that dude is just all about vocal production and like mm. everything's about the voice and this and the melody and and just that guy he taught me a lot I guess about arrangement kind of stuff he also taught me a lot about how to not be a complete asshole to the bands <laughs> so, so do you have an example of uh, some arrangement stuff he taught you well like the way he worked was he came in when we were tracking drums to make sure none of the drums stepped on the vocals and then he left and we did everything else. And then when it's time to record vocals, he came back and he recorded the vocals and just the way he like would do arrangements and stuff with the vocals was really good. But like, I don't know, just he had that, that aspect of like, that's all that matter was the vocals. He didn't give a shit about the other stuff we did. So I don't know. It was just like a cool, like overall, just the way he kind of helped us in pre-production too with songs. It was, 
it, it was cool. It was, it was the first time really working with a producer like that too for me. Mm. It was interesting to see, but then at the same time, saying he was he was a complete weirdo. So it taught me a lot <laughs> of psychology of recording. I'm like, I don't want to work with people like that. I don't want to be someone like that. I, I, I've heard that about him from many of my friends who recorded <laughs> records with him. <laughs> Which, you know, obviously not like he, it was a great experience and it was, the records were not great. So in the end, it's, it was all worth it. But yeah, like that. And then like, we just, on my band's last record, we uh, worked with Greg Wells, mm. who's just like the most chill, nice, rad dude. And, that's kind of like the kind of vibe that I like is he's just, you know, he's just very laid back and it's just, we're getting, you know, we'll work and we'll get to where we need to get and it'll happen. And it's happens in this like right amount of time it needs to take. Whereas then we did a record with Eric Valentine where mm -hmm. it took so long because he's mm. such a like technical maniac and he likes to do every aspect himself. Mm. Like he had an assistant engineer there, but he didn't let him do anything, hmm. you know, like, so it's just this funny thing. I don't know. I've had all these experiences, all these different people and just kind of been able to draw what I like about the way they do things and kind of meld my own version of that. I like that. I like that. It's really cool. Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. You know, I, it's anytime when you get that sound and that performance that you just want to keep playing it back. 20 times and just be like, oh, that sounds so fucking good. Like mm. the bass tone that I got on that uh, last record I was trying to use in the UA, man, I just wanted to, there was like one song that has just a drum and bass intro. Mm. And I was just like, oh, fuck, that sounds good. So nice. <laughs> I said over and over again. What's one of the worst moments you've had and what did you learn from it? I can't say I've had too many terrible moments. There's just, you know, stressful times when you're getting burnt out. And I think generally I'm a pretty patient guy. But there's times when you like things get tested. You just gotta take a breath, not let things get out of control. And I don't know. Th those are the worst times when you're just burnt out, but you know you got to keep plowing through. Mm. But I've, I've just, I guess, I've learned to try to like, I don't know, how to handle that and not let things get shitty because of that. Oh, so that's, a, that's a, gr a great point. What is the bane of your existence musically? You know, it, it might be what we were talking about earlier with the. Uh, mixers immediately go into drum replacement. Mm. <laughs> That's kind of like, I, I've done a few records where we've done like, uh, like mix shootouts, like having a few mixers do a spec mix to figure out who's going to do the record. The ones where they come back where it's like immediately like, Oh, that is a computer snare drum that we did not <laughs> give mm. them. I'm always like, man, like, and, and it's when I know that I gave them something to work with that is good, you know, mm -hmm. like you could do something with what I gave you and make it sound good. And that's where I'm kind of like, ugh, that kind of annoys me. Yeah, no, I, 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 get I think that there is a tendency these days now that sample drums uh, with like the slate programs can be so, un I don't want to say undetectable, but less detectable than they used to be that there's mm -hmm. a lot of people who are just like, it's like, well, let's throw that up and get this mix done. And it's like, uh, well, you know, there is a good <laughs> drum sound there. Totally. And it's like, you know, I, I acknowledge that I'm that in that respect, I'm just being a nerd and a snob. And that no one else could probably ever tell, and it wouldn't matter. But it's just like, ah, I can tell though. I, I, I know I want to be happy with that. I don't want to sit here every time I listen to it and be like, ah, shit, that sounds so fake to me. Totally, totally with you. So, um, let's get into some of your personal music taste and what has uh, shaped you. What's a perfect record someone else has made, and what about it makes it perfect? I really love "Wrong" by No Means No. Oh yeah, yeah. 
that record, man, like what, you know, I, I saw them when I was a kid, probably like when I was like 14, I think, and they blew my mind and I mm-hmm. bought the cassette at that show and forever. I just love that record as a record, just like the songs are so good. It's just so interesting and different musically. And then as I've gotten older and gotten into production stuff too, like it just amazes me more because now I listen to it and I'm like, it really is just a three piece, like it's drums and like bass is slightly to the left, guitar is slightly to the right. And yet it's like, sounds so full and so good. And it's just like this really remarkable production that they're able to pull that off and not, it's not like super layered. It's not, it's just basic. I mean, that's the band as it is. And it, and it works and sounds as huge as, you know, any record with, you know, a bunch of wall of guitars and stuff. I, you know, it is funny. That is one of the only bands that pulls that off. And it really is one of the only recordings I can even think of that pulls that off. It's a great point. Talk to me about five of your favorite records throughout your life and how they shaped your musical growth. Well, No Means No, that's definitely one of them. That one showed me that punk can be very complex and weird. And let's see, what else? Man, picking one record by all is uh-huh. tough. But so yeah, they, you could say them just in general. Yeah, like they're, they're probably if I had to pick a favorite band of all time, it's them. And which is, I know a lot of people think it's weird because they would everyone would pick Descendants overall. Mm. But yeah, I'm, some, I'm on that train, yeah, personally. <laughs> but it's like I, I with all, I guess that they really push the musicality side. I think. Mm. I mean, Descendants started to towards the end with their last record, but like all just got. St- there's like still guitar parts I listen to that I'm just like, man, what the fuck is Stefan doing there? Like, no. it's just crazy. And they kind of taught me that, oh, you can have this really weird, complex music, but then still have like a really catchy, nice melody on top of it. And I always really appreciated that kind of interplay of being able to get weird, but still keeping it within the realm of, you know, just the lay person would want to listen to it because it's catchy. Kind of in the same vein as like... Um, the No Means No record, there's that uh, Jester Brazil Orange Rhyming Dictionary. Oh, yeah, such an amazing record. Fuck, man, so good. And that's another one where as I've gotten older, the, the production, I just appreciate yeah. it so much because it's so, it, it's, again, it sounds so good and so full. It's When you break it down, it's so simplistic. Like, it's yeah. just guitar, bass, and a couple of uh, guitar, bass, drums, you know, maybe a, a keyboard overdub here and there. But it just it's perfect, like... And there's times where it breaks down to like a 30 second segment of just bass, drums and vocal. And mm. it's just like, but you never think about that. That's what's happening. It just still sounds right. I don't know. It's that's such yeah. a great. Uh, it's funny. I can remember. Uh, I, so I was assisting Alan Douchess when uh, they mastered that record. And I can remember them bringing that in. And that record was just so fully realized. I can't remember the exact amount of time, but they recorded that in some obscenely short amount of time too. Of like, you know, it was like, I couldn't believe like it was something like a week or like 10 days. And you're like, oh my God, like to get that in that fast of time. But also they were one of the tightest live bands ever too. So it makes a lot totally. of sense. What else do you have? I always really loved, I guess kind of been going back into the same thing as uh, why I love all. I always was a huge propaganda fan. Ah, like Let's Talk More Rock in particular is just one of my favorite records. And I, same thing where there's like a complexity to the music, but it's still super catchy, which is one of those things where with that band, it frustrates me now because I feel like they've gotten more complex than music and it's really cool, but they've kind of let go of the vocals being a hooky. And I'm just like, ah. So every time they come out with a new record, I'm like hoping it'll kind of have a little more 
Like they'll have put a little more into the vocals and then I get disappointed. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I still love that band. Don't want to sound too shitty. Yeah, you have one last one? You know, I might as well, I guess, go Screeching Weasel. Nice. I've done enough stuff for them and, and, and it's because uh, I was such a huge fan growing up. And, you know, those records, looking back, aren't necessarily sonically the best. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. They're, they're, you know, it's actually like a funny thing of like, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, man, this recording is hard to take. I'm just going to put it on the laptop speakers so I focus on the songs. <laughs> totally. Like to, to get them off the Jetelec monitors onto there, then I'll just focus on melody. <laughs> totally. But yeah, but such great melody and such like, you know, uh, you know, bringing, bringing that into punk at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, not to say there wasn't, Melody, obviously, lots no, of... No, but they took thing. it... I think there was a lot of people who were afraid to get rid of the aggression, and there was something about the way his voice would grit up that still had that aggression, but yet could just be so overly melodic compared to what a lot of people were doing. Totally. And, and great lyrics, too. Like, he could be silly or, like, incredibly insightful and from yeah. song to song. And yeah, it's and literally, back-to-back of, like, one of the dumbest songs you've ever heard to something, like, truly inspired... Totally. Okay, how about, uh, what's your most favorite record of recent times and what inspires you about it? I really like Mast Intruder, which is a band okay. that I'm actually getting the fortune to work with as well, which they just have, man, such a great sense of melody. And, and I feel like maybe some people just listen to them and think, oh, they're just standard pop punk and maybe kind of write them off. But, like, I don't know, when you dive into those songs, like, they're... So hooky and so, I don't know, something with a lot of pop punk in the past like 10 years or so, I feel is like there's been this embracing of aesthetic over songs to where like you put on a band, like, oh man, this sounds great. But then two songs in, you're like, man, I'm not, none of this is really grabbing me. I feel like they're a band that like writes songs unapologetic, unapologetically catchy, which I super appreciate and uh, I'm a huge fan of. And then on top of that, they have all these like three-part harmonies that are amazing and uh, just I'm a big fan of that band. So tell me about three of your favorite record producers. It's funny because there's so many that like anytime I listen to a record that just blows my mind, I'm just like, oh, fuck. And I'm, you know, well, like, for example, like Jay Robbins did that uh-huh. uh, Just a Brazil record, which I think is amazing. But then there's a lot of his records where I'm like not necessarily a huge fan of the way they sound. But because he did that one record. I'm like, well, he's amazing in my book forever. Nice. I, I actually say about Jay, what I, what I like about him is he can take any band and make it presentable in an interesting way. Totally. No matter how abrasive, weird, bad, or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and not say that I feel like anything mm. he's done is bad. But, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, man, that's, I don't know. Like, he yeah. did this one record for a band called Discount that I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that band. And that, and that record is just like... It's got an interesting sound, and I'm sure it's you know as much the band as, as it is him and why that record sounds that way. But it's just like I don't know. There's something weird about the way that record sounds, and I'm always like, huh. Uh, it's an interesting approach to do that record. Yeah, I think that 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 that, that was like the suffering of that band's tones live. I remember I must have done sound for them thirty times, and it was like <laughs> their tones were really weird. Their guitar tone was so weird and washy, and like. There was totally. something weird going on there. <laughs> that's funny. I'm glad I'm, that's that's awesome that you have like 
Like that's a band that I, I loved a lot. Oh, in the yeah. 90s. So I, few people seem to remember them. Oh man. I, I must've literally like, I must've booked them at least 15 times in Jersey and like gone to every show and always just chased them. bought every seven inch. I fucking love that band. That's awesome. What else do you have? Every big name you can think of. I mean, I'm always in awe of anyone who can just get amazing sounds. You know, and being that I do a lot of punk rock stuff, obviously uh, the, the stuff coming out of the Blasting Room, yes. Livermore and Stevenson, that shit always sounds in, impeccable, almost too mm. impeccable at times. But it's mm. it's amazing that they, they have like, and to watch like the progression from when, you know, when they opened that studio, like when they recorded Pummel by all, that was, I think that was the first record they did. And then to where it's grown and just like you can follow that sound as they've like honed everything in and gotten just to be the masters of making these amazing sounding punk records. It's pretty awesome. I, I agree. I'm, I'm a hu huge fan of what those guys do. Who else you have? Steve Evitz. Oh, always, yeah. Everything I ever hear of him is always sounds amazing. He, he he is the best. I've I've been very lucky to do work under him for a, a long time. He's my best friend. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that. I mean, it's funny. I uh I picked up a copy of uh, Dead Guy Fixation on Coworkers. That, that was the first fir first one record I ever got into his stuff with. Yeah. And it's it's crazy how amazing for that time. Like it was like ninety five. Like. Mm -hmm. Like, it, there's just not a lot of stuff in punk and hardcore at the time that sounded, like, that well done. And listening to it now, I'm just like, fuck, this is 95? It's amazing. Yeah, they, they really had a lightning in a bottle type of sound down at Tracks East in the mid-90s of just, like, every record, like those Lifetime records, onto mm -hmm. the Dillinger Escape Plan stuff, like, all of it just sounded so amazing what they were doing compared to everybody else. Totally. Nice. So the last question we have is, uh, what have you been working on lately? I just wrapped up uh, a new album for a band called Direct Hit. Nice. Uh, yeah, very totally them. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm very stoked on that. Like, uh, that, that was the one that we can keep talking about, that bass tone. Mm -hmm. we got, that was for that record, which I can't say what label it's coming out on mm -hmm. yet because they haven't announced it, but it's going to be on a good label. I'm very excited about it. So that's cool. And then um, working with the previously mentioned masked men, which I guess I'm probably not supposed to talk about yet mm -hmm. either, but I'm going to a little, cause I'm very stoked this on will, it. This, this will be out in a few weeks anyway. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those things. And, um, those are the two most recent things I'm doing. Um, and then actually I need to figure out some stuff. I kind of got an open schedule at the moment, but I'm playing some reject shows and stuff and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll get going again with the new record before too long, but no, no definite plans at the moment. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.